that there are some people that can maintain this or survive this. Some people don't. He was not extremely encouraging. Kind of implied I ought to probably go on a cruise and get my affairs in order. Welcome to this Cancer ABCs podcast. I am Joel T. Nowak from Cancer ABCs. And with me for this podcast is Mr. Mark Hall, a man who has castrate-resistant prostate cancer. Mark's journey with cancer has taken him through many twists and turns. In this podcast, Mark is going to share his amazing journey, including his experience with a treatment called ProVenge. Welcome, Mark. I'm happy that you're going to join us and share your story. I guess the best place to begin is at the beginning. Would you first tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Mark, and I live in Texas. I live in a rural area. I've been a general contractor all my life. Always been extremely active and healthy. And I pretty rarely went to the doctor, only when I had something wrong, I'd go see a doctor. I ended up getting divorced, and then I remarried. My wife had a little more medical background, being as her father was a physician. After we got married, she said, well, there's two things you really need. You need to get a PSA and a colonoscopy. I was 53 years old at that point, and I really wasn't totally familiar with either test. So I said, sure, let's do it. I went and got a PSA. Nancy and I were driving towards San Antonio, and we got a call from my local physician's assistant. We don't have a real doctor in our little town, but a PA. And he said, Mark, he said, we got a scary test result on you. I'm sure it's not correct, but he said, your PSA came in at 3,400. Well, we need to do something. Basically, that was where it all started. It was a shock. It certainly sounds that way. And that's a really high PSA. When you were first told that, did you understand the implications? Uh, pretty quickly. <laughs> she told me and yeah, my wife told me, uh, yeah, I mean, we, the gravity was, yes, understood clearly. So as we were driving into San Antonio, we got on the phone and we made an appointment with a urologist and we got in probably three hours after that bombshell report go to this urologist in a respected group and he looked at it he said this has just got to be a testing error so we retested the test that he did came back at 3900 it had gone up like 500 points roughly since the first test which had been a couple of weeks ago and we i think we did one more psa and it came in at 4400 so within a period of a couple of weeks this thing was on a terrible trajectory at that point, we did a biopsy, and I had a Gleason 8, and they definitely found cancer in the prostate. So that's kind of where it all started. Now you had this crazy high PSA, which was just exploding. You went to the doctor. What were your next steps, and what did docs tell you? I, I remember when we came back in to get the, the biopsy report and he came into a little waiting room and he sat down and I could tell by his expression, his demeanor, that it was nothing was good. 
he said, you have a very, very serious cancer. And said, there are some people that can maintain this or survive this. Some people don't. He was not extremely encouraging. Kind of implied I ought to probably go on a cruise and get my affairs in order. We also were referred to another doctor. And he wanted me to go on chemo right away. And my wife kind of did. I just didn't feel comfortable with that. At that point, I started an exhaustive search of doctors. We went from San Antonio down to Houston to MD Anderson, and we met some kind of holistic practitioners who were way out there. I think I literally went to seven doctors. They pretty much all said the same thing. And at that point, they had put me on Lupron, which seemed to be a consensus among every doctor that I should get on some androgen deprivation. So I had taken Casodex and Lupron just to get started. Finally, a doctor in Virginia, his name kept coming up in all my research. And I was calling everybody. I was just frantically researching, probably two weeks after the diagnosis. And this Dr. Myers, Dr. Charles Myers, his name came up and I called him. We kind of started the next phase at that point. A lot of people know him as Snuffy Myers. Did you actually go see Dr. Myers? And what was the result of that uh, meeting or is it just a phone conversation? He wanted to see me. He had an incredibly full schedule, but he said that he thought my case was interesting and he wanted to see me. So he made room for us. We flew out there on the last minute deal and actually our flight was delayed. I'm digressing a little bit, but this is kind of important to understand Dr. Myers. Flight was delayed. We were late getting there. And he stayed until six o'clock when all his patient load was done. And then he saw me after hours because we had missed our appointment. But he saw me. He took Nancy into another room and he told her, he said, look, the only way that Mark can have a chance is if I can get him into a durable remission. He wrote a four-page document showing what he would do with a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. And we were thrilled to death because nobody had really given that much thought to my case up until that point. Absolutely decided to go with him. At that point, he put me on a hugely strong androgen deprivation program, triple androgen blockade, and I was wearing estrogen patches. And it took my testosterone down from 600 down to 13. Fortunately, my PSA also went down. I guess it got down to less than 0.01. Just to clarify, you had received the Lupron shot prior to seeing Dr. Myers. Was that the only treatment you had received until you saw him? I took Casodex and Lupron up until I saw him. And then he put me on Avidart, estrogen, and then he gave me some other drugs to help my liver combat all these all the other drugs that I was taking. He just kind of doubled up, I would say, on everything. He increased the dosage of the Casodex, added Avidart, added Ursodiol, and then also the estrogen failed to mention, but I had five and a half centimeter pelvic tumors that they had discovered. That was part of the program is recognizing that I had those tumors also. I assume that there were some scans done after you were on this treatment with Dr. Myers? Yeah. Well, I think the scans were done before I saw Dr. Myers, maybe through, I'm, I'm not totally remembering this. It was like 13 years ago, but 
I have a note here that says the bone scan was negative and the pelvic and the CT scan showed 5.5 centimeter pelvic tumors. So apparently that's what it was. You had a PSA when you were diagnosed of multiple thousands. And what's important, I think, for a lot of men to hear, you just said 13 years ago. That was 13 years ago, roughly. And, and I'm going to gather you're still with us. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about pre-recording this in case I pass, but no, I'm, I'm here. I'm here so alive. Think, yeah. So, I mean, that's really important for a lot of men to hear, that you're alive 13 years after being diagnosed with a, a phenomenally high PSA. I think that's a take-home from this. If that's all we get out of this, but I know we're going to get more, that alone is so important to so many men. That leads me to a thought that I wanted to share in this conversation is that Dr. Myers recognized my prostate cancer as a subset of prostate cancer. In other words, he had seen a number of patients where the cancer went to the lymph system and not to the bone. And that immediately led him down a certain direction in terms of how he would treat me. And I think he was the first doctor to recognize that subtle difference. Dr. Myers, uh, a lot of men just have such tremendously positive things to say about him that unfortunately, Dr. Myers is no longer in practice. There are a lot of other doctors that are amazing as well. And I think that as somebody searches for a doctor, something to keep in mind is that Dr. Myers had been a general oncologist, but then he decided there was just so much that he wanted to focus on. So he became strictly focused on prostate cancer. And I think there are a few doctors, I know a few out on the West Coast, who have limited their focus to this one area. And I think that type of doctor is really better because there's so much out there try to sift through, read all the new papers that are coming out. And I would encourage people to look for a doctor who specializes in the prostate only. Absolutely. We agree with you. And I think it's a great point. 13 years ago, you went on this significant regime of hormone therapy. Can you then tell us what happened? Sure. And I'm looking at notes, 67 now. I can't remember a whole lot, but... (laughs) (laughs) I understand. Basic idea was that we got down to a very low PSA for a while. We did intermittent hormonal therapy with Dr. Myers. He thought that 13 months on and then giving your body a rest was a good way to approach it. There's an argument that just staying on hormones is better. And, you know, there's two schools of thought on that. His particular school of thought was that you should give your body a rest and try to recover. And then if you needed to go back on. So that's what I did. I had uh, a couple of cycles of the hormonal therapy. The cancer was still there. So about four years after I was diagnosed, we decided to go ahead and do some radiation and just kind of try to take out the prostate. And Dr. Myers recommended Dr. DeToli in Sarasota, Florida. I said, well, you know, there's doctors here in San Antonio that would be a whole lot more convenient and closer. And I was running a business at that time, had a corporation and a general contractor. But on Dr. Meyer's recommendation, I went to DeToli. I'm glad that I did. He did a brilliant job. So we did radiation to the prostate. I think I took three months off, came back, and he put seeds in. And then I took three months off. 
and then he irradiated an area in the lymph system, which was fairly close to the prostate. There's a little side story that goes with that, I should probably mention. I was trying to get imaging done. There was a imaging process called Combidex at that time, which where they injected tiny iron particles into your bloodstream and then did a very high intensity MRI. The FDA did not allow it in the United States. We were able, fortunately, to go ahead and fly to Europe, and we did that in the Netherlands. They were able to send that data to the dosimetrist in Florida, and that was the basis for how we targeted the lymph system because this particular test had, I think, four times the accuracy of a CT scan. So we could see down to like one millimeter in size. So we were able to really identify where the cancer was in the lymph system and then target that. So the the third phase of my radiation was to actually go back and do a week or two of targeting lymph nodes. And so we did that. You certainly have been on an amazing journey. And I also like the idea that you knew exactly what you wanted. You wanted the Combidex scan and you found a way to get it because you were concerned about your own health as opposed to what is generally acceptable or had been FDA approved. And I think that that, again, is another important take home that we need to do whatever we have to do in order to improve and and protect our health. Yes, that makes me think about something I've neglected to talk about in this whole conversation, is that my wife was an incredible support partner through this whole thing. We did some fairly impossible journeys, and it would not have been done without her support, and I'd be very negligent not to say, I mean, she literally saved my life, she and Dr. Myers. Having the support people, family and loved ones and people who care about you and who are willing to to help us along is, is so important to our finding a way to survive. And part of that support that you're talking about is a faith community. And I also should say that I have a strong faith and a commitment to a faith group, which happens to be a traditional Methodist church, but doesn't really matter what it is. It's a family beyond my family, and their support was, I think, instrumental in in giving me strength to keep going on and keep searching and knowing that people cared made it easier to keep taking those steps. When you're diagnosed, like this darkness descends over you and a confusion, and you're feeling your way through this just impossible event. Having that support can kind of keep you going and lead you through. So very, very thankful to have that kind of support as well. Terrific. Now you've gone off, you've had radiation, and you've had seeds. What happened? Okay, the radiation was in 2009, and then in 2011, PSA began to rise again. In July of 2012, it was up to 3.1, which didn't really concern me a whole lot. Having been at 3,000, I was like, you know, I can handle this, but not good. Can I interrupt you a second to ask how, just to give a perspective, how low had your PSA gone? It had gone down to undetectable, to less than 0.01. That was right after the initial androgen program with Dr. Myers. We got it down to undetectable, just briefly. But then it came back, and then we did the radiation. And then after a couple of years, it started creeping back up again. 
I think during the radiation time, it was down to undetectable again, if I remember correctly. So at that point, when I had the 3.1, this Farahim test was now available in Florida. So I went to Sand Lake Imaging in Florida and did the Farahim MRI, CT and bone scans. Could not see anything. Waited a year. PSA was up to 11. Went back to Sand Lake. Couldn't find anything. Waited another year. The PSA was up to 30. Went back to Sand Lake and they found it. It was in the posterior mediastinum area, which if I'm getting my anatomy correct, that was right in the spinal area at about heart level. There was some lymph node involvement there. And again, Mm -hmm. it was a lymph system and not bone. They wanted to biopsy it, but the doctor at Sand Lake apologized and said that he couldn't. It was just too delicate an area to try to biopsy. We were hoping to get some tissue so that we could do some genetic testing. Anyway, at that point, I needed to go back on the hormones again. We had to treat this systemically. We were, you know, we were hoping to find it and then maybe do something surgically or maybe some more radiation, but in this particular location, there was nothing to do. So we had to do it systemically. And at that point, there was a new drug out called Extandi. I substituted the Extandi for the Casodex. And there was also a new drug called Firmagon, which kind of was a Lupron replacement or an alternative. It was a little more painful, but I thought that it was better. So I went on the Firmagon and you had to get the shot every month, which was mm-hmm. kind of unpleasant. But The Extandi and the Firmagon did a great job and knocked me down to an undetectable PSA again. Here I was in 2015. And at that point, a local oncologist suggested that I try Provenge. Provenge is a procedure where they take your white blood cells out through leukophoresis, and then they train them essentially to fight the cancer on a cellular level. They they put your white blood cells back in. So anyway, I did three sessions of that. That was about four years ago. Since that time, I've had an undetectable PSA. So I'm sitting here very thankful and in the longest remission that I've had. And I have to think that it's partly attributable to the Provenge treatment. I'm actually going to come back to that because I think that that's an extraordinary response and I like to hear that. But I know that there are guys who are considering having Provenge. As you know, Provenge is not a treatment that's in any way similar to those other treatments. It's not a pill and it's not a traditional injection. Mark, Having gone through Provenge treatment and gone through other treatments, you know that Provenge is a little different. It's administered uh, differently than any other treatment that we have for cancer and specifically for prostate cancer. Could you describe a little bit what that process of getting Provenge was like and what you sure. had to do? Um, you know, the Provenge is expensive. It, it costs about $100,000 unless you have insurance that'll cover it. And I think the protocol for it is that you need to have a, what do they call it? You have to be hormone refractory where you're no longer responsive to hormonal therapy. The process was, (laughs) it was like the easiest thing that I did in all the years. Basically get hooked up to a machine 
and they circulate your blood out of your body through one arm, out the other arm, basically, through a machine where they collect the white blood cells, and then they send them off. In this case, it was to Georgia. Once those cells are treated, they send them back, so they just infuse them into your body. Totally painless process. I was very comfortable the whole time. People were great. It was, I could just say it was almost pleasurable doing it. You know, the worst part is the high cost of the treatment. Just to fill in some blanks, the first step in the process is doing what's called an apheresis, where through the machine that you described, Mark, they remove the white blood cells. How long, when you had your apheresis, how long did you actually sit in the chair? It was three hours approximately. Were you able to go to the bathroom? Yeah, I think I could get up and, yeah. I, okay. I had the freedom to, if I chose to. I, it seems to me like I pretty much stayed there for the three hours, but that was certainly, yeah, they were very accommodative and just an easy process. You were able to eat and drink if you so desired? Yeah, yeah, they gave you snacks and liquids and stuff. Okay, that's good. So you did this apheresis and you then got a phone call back, went to reappear in order to get these infusions these um, energized or sensitized cells. Again, what they did is they took your white blood cells, your killer cells or T cells, and they sensitized them to see the cancer as being an invader. Now, again, these were your cells that you donated or put into, into that machine and then into the bag. And you now needed to get these sensitized cells back. What was that process like? That was even easier than the extraction process. They just sat me down in the chair and put a little bag with a, a drip into a catheter. I, I mean, not a catheter. What do you call it? A, uh, it was basically infused back into your arm, just like... Uh, yeah, it was infused into my arm, right. And again, was there any pain or discomfort in that process? None at all. It was very easy. Did you experience any side effects, either short-term or long-term, from getting ProVenge? None. So it was totally benign as far as how you felt? Totally benign. I don't think I even felt tired. or I mean, I drove myself in there, did it, drove home, you know, like an hour and a half. There was never really an issue that I can recall. You really attribute, based on what you said before, to now having an undetectable PSA for four years because of the, obviously, there's probably some contribution from your prior treatments, but specifically to the ProVenge. Is, is that what I heard you say? It'll be four years in November. So it's like three and yeah, it's three you know plus years now. I do. I see that as a strong factor. I've actually been talking to a doctor at the Provenge Institute or whatever they call it. I really wonder if this particular drug might have more of an impact on men that have uh, lymph node-specific prostate cancer, because I seem to have had a beyond normal response to the Provenge. I would like to see it made available to more men at an earlier stage in cancer. Being such a benign procedure, it just seems like it's something everybody should try earlier on rather than waiting till such a late date, which is where they normally try it. Right. And I think as also you said, what your other thought is that perhaps there is a difference between cancer that's in the bone as opposed to cancer that's in soft tissue or lymph nodes. 
I don't know that for a fact, but I wonder. When you shared that or asked that question to people at Dendrion, what, if any, response did they give you to that question? We're in contact right now, and I think I've been in contact with a research doctor there, and I believe we're going to have an interview coming up at some point and discuss this. Good. Good for you, and thank you for advocating for us. You've had an extraordinary response. I think it's an unusually significant response, but we never know if we as an individual will also share a similar response. So when we go ahead and into the treatments like Provenge, clearly need to remember that we may be just like Mark Hall is a an outlier, a super responder, because there are men who are super responders and could be you. I think that's something we need to think about. Given how significant and how long your journey has been, I was wondering if you had any recommendations or thoughts or wisdom that you may want to impart to other men who were either just starting this journey or somewhere along the path behind you. Yeah, there are a couple of things that I thought about. One, I would say that it's imperative to get multiple opinions if you're diagnosed. I would say you may have the best doctor in the world that happens to be your 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 treating doctor at that point, but the knowledge base of all the different doctors is different. By visiting three or four doctors, you know, you have one chance to, to do this. So <laughs> you need to really go out there and, and do your homework and, and get multiple, multiple opinions. And you may find that doctor that just has a tiny bit of knowledge in an area that treats you slightly differently that can help you. Related to that is kind of a general thought that we had. My wife and I discussed this when we went to one of the larger institutions. We had a doctor, and he was part of a group of doctors. There were actually 17 oncologists or urologists in this group. And the way they work, my doctor would take all my data, and then he would go before the group of doctors on a certain day, might have been Mondays, they would do like this peer review thing and they would all kind of get together and decide what to do. I could be totally wrong, but I have a theory on this, that that type of system leads to a very conservative approach because a doctor in that situation is not going to want to step out of the box and try anything because he's got 16 other guys watching him. I don't mean it as a criticism. It's just the way it is. And when I found Dr. Myers, who had taken himself outside of that system, he had gone to become an independent doctor, answering to nobody but his own conscience and himself. He had much more freedom to treat aggressively. And I think he treated me perhaps in a more aggressive manner than would have been allowed at a, at a larger institution. I don't know if I made that point clear, but it's just a thought. Perhaps independent doctors could give you a more aggressive approach. And, and I needed a, an aggressive approach. My case was so severe. It does sound that way. Not only would I want to say that, that there's a lot of merit to that, uh, I think also in your earlier comment to this part about multiple opinions is so vital. And I think it's through groupthink that we can come up with better opinions where you as a patient can weigh what these various doctors tell you and either put together some combination thereof of their recommendations or figure out what recommendation 
you think might make better sense for you. By speaking to different doctors, it gives you the freedom to, to understand your cancer a lot better and come up with, I think, better solutions for you and for your particular cancer. I think that's great, Mark. Mark Hall, I want to thank you very much for sharing your experience with prostate cancer and specifically about Provenge. I am hopeful that your four years will turn to 40 more years with no PSA. I think that would be terrific. I'm not going to wish anything on you beyond those 40 years, however. Um, <laughs> well, but, I but certainly sir. appreciate that. And I appreciate what you do, Joel, trying to spread knowledge and just help other men. I think that's very important that we try to, to help our brothers who are uh, who are new to this and need some guidance. And I would say, this is totally up to you, but I would say that I would be available to talk to anybody on a one-to-one -one basis. It would definitely want to go through you to filter the caller, but I am available to talk to people. If I can be of any help to any man, I would be glad to talk to them. That is absolutely terrific, and I think it would be greatly appreciated. So what I'm going to suggest, that if somebody wants to have either an email correspondence or, if Mark is willing, a telephone conversation with him, if you send an email uh, to me, and I will make sure that I pass that information on to Mark, you can reach or send an email to me at joel, J-O-E-L, at cancerabcs, that's C-A-N-C-E-R-A-B-C-S dot org. And I will make sure that Mark gets uh, word and that he knows about it. Mark, your closing words were great. you have any last minute things you want to add? Well, I could end with a tiny anecdote. When when I was first diagnosed, I had just married my wife. Uh, it was a second marriage. We had been married for three months. I got diagnosed with this horrendous disease, and she had lost a husband before. And I sincerely went to her, and I said, Nancy, you didn't sign up for this. Texas has a lemon law, and you can <laughs> you can turn me in and go about your business. I would not want to, I, I literally thought I was supposed to die at that point. And I said, I understand. And, you know, you have a, a way out of this if you want. And she is such an amazing person. She stuck with me and here we are today. That's a great story. I want to thank you again, Mark. And I want to thank Nancy also, because of Nancy, you and I were able to, to speak with each other. Thank you, Joel. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this Cancer ABCs podcast with our guest, Mark Hall, a prostate cancer thriver extraordinaire. I am Joel T. Nowak, and I want to remind you that despite having a cancer diagnosis, you can continue to thrive even with cancer. Cancer ABCs wants to thank Genomic Health for their support of the Cancer ABCs podcast program. Have a great and healthy day. 